Well, good morning, Calvary. It is uh, great to see you guys this morning. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church, and it is just a pleasure to get to worship this morning with you, um, to see all of you today. Uh, If you've been with us, we've been doing a study over the past couple weeks on the heart of Christ for his people. And today, we're going to continue that by looking at Jesus' heart for friendship. Friendship. And this was a difficult one for me to prepare for. I spent most of the week practicing a performance of the uh, Friends theme song, and finally decided to cut that because I thought that just wasn't coming together. Uh, and then I thought I was going to sneak in like lines from the theme song into the sermon just so you could catch it at different points, but that didn't work either. So we're just going to go with the sermon and, and, and stick with that. Stick with what you know. Um, yeah, so uh, friendship is actually a really prominent Uh, theme that runs through the Bible. And it is one of the images that the Bible gives us to show us how our relationship with God works. Along with fatherhood, along with adoption as children of God, we see this theme of friendship with God. And so that's what we're going to hone in on today. One of the places we see this comes actually from the mouth of Jesus's opponents. Um, And the irony sometimes is that Jesus's opponents could understand him better than his followers. And so in Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, um, Jesus is speaking about the accusations against him. And he says, the Son of Man, um, speaking for the Pharisees here, he, he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This was a, a derogatory uh, phrase thrown at Jesus, that he is a friend of sinners. He's always hanging out with those people. He's always um, spending time with them. This is the people he uh, was associated with, and he spends a shocking amount of time uh, in the Gospels with people who were notorious for their mess, notorious for their sin in their lives. The people who uh, you didn't engage with or talk about in polite society, these are the people who Jesus sought out, and the people who came to him, the people who felt welcomed by him. They were drawn to him. Jesus' heart was for the hurting and the broken. It's on full display in his friendship with them. And so even though this is meant as as a derogatory term, it actually speaks to who he truly is, a friend to sinners. Now, friendship with God goes back into the Old Testament as well, but it's very exclusive. It's not a term, it's not a, a name that's thrown around a lot. There's only two people in the Old Testament who are explicitly called friends of God, and they're kind of the, the, you know, the OG, the big names. It's Abraham and it's Moses. Abraham, who is the very first, um, the father of the entire people of God, of all of Israel, who spoke with God face to face, who had these, these visions, these promises, this revelation of God speaking to him. He's called a friend of God. And second is Moses who leads the people out of slavery, who is given God's law, who sees God. He he gets a revelation. He gets to go up on the mountain and see God's glory as it passes by. These are are the figureheads. These are the Mount Rushmore of Old Testament figures. They are only called friends of God, but, but nobody else. But we see in Jesus, friendship with God is expanded. It's broadened. It's opened up to everybody. It's opened up to the most um, lowly of the low, the least expected, the sinners, the broken, the hurting. And what an amazing comfort this is. In fact, the only person who could see this and not rejoice and find offense in it, and, and some did find offense in this, are those who don't consider themselves sinners, right? 
For any of us who see our brokenness, who see our sin, this idea that Jesus could be friends with sinners is a beautiful truth of the gospel. And so we want to take today and examine that truth of friendship with Jesus. And the most clear teaching of this is in the book of John. So we're going to look at John 15, verses 12 through 17. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there to John 15. We'll be starting in verse 12. We're going to see here how we can enter into friendship with Jesus. We're going to see what friendship with Jesus looks like. And we're going to see that Jesus' friendship gives us both direction and assurance. It's going to give us both direction and assurance. So let's read from God's Word together. John 15, starting in verse 12. This is Jesus speaking. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Church, let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for friendship with you through Jesus. Father, be with our study this morning. We ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. These verses we just read, they are part of Jesus' final night with his, disciple, with his disciples in the upper room. This is the same night where he washes the disciples' feet, where he gives them the Lord's Supper, where he predicts Peter's denial. And it's right before they go up to the Mount of Olives where he is betrayed and arrested. This is it. This is his final time to give instructions to his followers and prepare them to go on without him. Um, to prepare them for his death. We call it the uh, Upper Room Discourse, and it covers a bunch of chapters, like four chapters here in John. And in this verse, in these couple of verses, Jesus speaks about friendship. No longer do I call you servants, he tells them, but I call you friends. Now, immediately, Jesus is speaking to the men he has spent the last three years with day in and day out, traveling, preaching, ministering to people. They have been with him constantly. These are his closest companions, his friends. But in John 15, we see so much more about what it means to have friendship with Jesus. And we see that this friendship extends beyond these 12 men. It extends to the followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, as, as you and I can be. Um, this upper room discourse instructs these 12 men, but it also instructs all followers of Jesus Throughout time, it applies to us, and we see truths here about what it means to be a friend of Jesus. There are two big things that this uh, draws our attention to, and the first is that friendship is primarily about love. We see this in verses 12 and 13. It's about love. We don't often talk about friendship and love in the same um, breath together. Uh, this is because English uses love to cover a ton of different things together, right? I love my wife, I love my friend, I love the Arizona Cardinals, and I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream, right? It's the same word, all of those are great things. All of those things um, 
use the same word, but they mean very different things. Well, the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, had different words that meant slightly different things. They're all related meanings, but there is some nuance here. Um, So we have the word for romantic love, we have the word for sacrificial love, and we have this word that Jesus uses here for friendship love, for affection. Um, And and it helps us zone in on this meaning. Jesus uses the, the word here, phileo, love, to talk about real affection and care for these companions of his. He loves them. In fact, you could translate verse 13 differently. You could say, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for those he loves. A friend is someone who you love, someone who you care about. And by calling his disciples his friends, he is declaring his love for them. He has affection for them. He cares about them. And he will demonstrate the power and the depth and the width of that love in just a few short hours when he dies for them on the cross, when he sacrifices himself for their sin and for our sin. His love is demonstrated in no greater way by laying down his life for others. And this is the foundation of every relationship that we have. This is the foundation of our friendship with God and of the disciples' friendship with God. So friendship is about love. Secondly, friendship is about communication or, to use a, a little bit more of a Bible word, about revelation, about revealing something else. And we see this in verse 15 and 16. Jesus describes a contrast here. He said, you were my servants, but now I call you friends. When a servant is called to do something by their master, they're not given the plan, right? They're not given the explanation. The master doesn't have to pour out his heart and his purpose and what he's asking them to do. He expects them to go and do it, Right? This is, this is what it would have been here. A slave and a servant were, were similar words there. These are indentured servants. They, their work belongs to their master. And so when a, when a master sends his servant to do something, they do it without asking questions. But a friend, he said, understands the, fa- the master's intention. They are brought into the plan. They are brought into the mindset and the, and the purpose behind what's being done. They get to see into the heart of the master. They're involved closely in what is happening. And they know them deeply. Not just like you know an acquaintance, but like you know a friend. They know each other really and truly. And Jesus tells them that he is the one who has revealed God to them. Jesus is the ultimate revelation. It is God coming to us so that we could see him. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've shown you who God is, what God's heart is. That's why we're talking about this whole series, what Jesus is heart, who he is, and what he does. By calling them friends, he is bringing them into the mission and the heart of God. Think back to those two first friends of God we talked about in the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses. They were both ones who saw God's heart. They were ones who had special revealing, special communication with God. Moses had such close communication with God that his face would shine He would come out and his face would be glowing in front of the people. Clearly radioactive. Something has happened here. He's been close to the divine. He's been close to the creator. This is something similar that Jesus is saying here. You guys are close. I'm bringing you in. Now, obedience is still necessary, we see. This is not a friendship in in totally the same way. Jesus begins by saying that uh, this is my commandment and that my friends would obey my commandments. Jesus is still the master and Lord of their lives and of our lives. But again, that, that relationship has changed. 
And it's no longer an obedience of go and do it because I said so, right? It's a go and do it because this is the good um, plan that God has. Go and do because this is the good that I have created for your lives. Go and do because this is the goodness of my heart, the very perfection of who I am. Go and act in this way. We see the goodness of God. We see the beauty of his purposes. And we joyfully join in what he is doing. This is not a a burden, as we've talked about, that is burdensome, that, that weighs us down. This is something we joyfully take on, something we joyfully join into, obedience to our friend and master. This is a major difference between the way Christians... Who, who hold to what the Bible teaches, view God and many other religions do. If you look at Islam, for example, and their vision of God, God is just power. And so God says something and you do it because God has the ability to wipe you out of existence because God's fury and his power is unmatched. So do what he says or else. But the Christian God, although he does have infinite power, he is also infinitely good. And he shows us his infinite goodness. And in Jesus, he opens his heart to us. He opens up and says, come and be my children. Come and be my friends. And follow me because you will see that this is the only true and good way. That is a a depth to the doctrine of God. That is a beauty that just doesn't exist in other places. God is not just powerful. He is good. This is what it means to be a friend of God, to be one who is loved to be one who is known, who receives communication. So we should ask, based on this, the first of our big questions today is how then can we become friends of Jesus? How can we enter into this friendship um, and have this new relationship? Um, and we might, if we think about this, see some, some curious problems at first that might seem from, from reading this. We can begin by asking how Jesus could call them his friends when he's not yet died. Right? The Bible speaks of us as enemies of God. We don't start out neutral. We start out opposing God. We start out with this bitter divide because of our sin, because of our rebellion against him. And so how can Jesus call them friends when they are still uh, against God? Uh, Romans 5.10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, so we be saved by his life. We are enemies. And so how, then, can we go from enemies to friends? Well, not by anything we do, not by this obedience that is mentioned in this passage. It is only by the gracious love of God. Although these verses do talk about obedience, the main thing we see here is that Jesus has chosen his friends. Jesus has selected them, and he has poured out his love upon them, and he has given them the status of friendship. He has changed the nature of their relationship, not by anything that's in them, but because of what is in him. When Jesus comes to us, we are enemies in rebellion, and he chooses out of his goodness, out of his grace, to love us. There's a quote by a pastor and a theologian named John Calvin. He writes, The cause of this grace, which has been manifested in Jesus Christ, was the perpetual love of God. This love with which he loved even those who were his enemies. In this way, too, Christ laid down his life for those who were strangers, for whom even while they were strangers, he loved. Otherwise, he would not have died for them. The love of God reaches out to us. The love of God befriends us when we were still enemies, 
when all we are doing is pushing God away and running from God, God reaches out to us and embraces us with his grace. When we were enemies, Jesus treated us as beloved friends and gave us his grace. And so there's no boasting here, right? There's no talking about how I've got really cool friends because of all the good things I've done, because of how incredible I am, because of my righteousness, my goodness, my status. No, none of that. We have nothing that is lovable. We have nothing that is worthy of being a good friend, but Jesus approaches us anyway out of his complete and total grace. So at its simplest, to be a friend of Jesus means simply that Jesus has chosen to love us. That is a beautiful truth of the gospel. We have to keep that in mind. We can never forget that. Everything that we have, every relationship we have with God is from God's grace alone. So that's how we find friendship with Jesus, by following him, by believing in him. As the gospel of Mark says, uh, repent and believe and walk into the arms of God's embrace. Second question we should ask is, what does friendship with Jesus look like, right? Jesus isn't physically present with us in the same way he was to those 12 disciples in the upper room when he was talking to them, right? They could reach out and touch Jesus. They could uh, pull him aside and ask him another question. They could give him a hug, right? Jesus is not present physically in the same way, but we can still have a real relationship with him. We can still have a real friendship. I think one of the most impactful things for me in these last couple weeks in this study is to remind ourselves that Jesus is not a concept, right? Jesus is not just a doctrine. Jesus is a person. We believe that Jesus died and rose again and is alive today. That he is at the Father's right hand and he is daily interceding for us. That he is acting as our advocate. That he is praying for us indeed. Jesus is alive today as a real person. The Bible even tells us that Jesus, still fully God, is still fully human too. He is still relatable. We can still reach out to him and understand and understand him and he can understand us because of his humanity so with this in mind how can we have a friendship with this real person it's important to remember when speaking of friendship with jesus that that this idea of friendship is an analogy right as all talk of god is right we can't fully grasp who god is and so we use the language that the bible gives us to speak truly but not completely right we call god father God is a father to us. That is true language. But God is not exactly like my biological father. There are some differences, right? One is a person, one is God, who has existed for eternity, okay? So there's, there's a lot of truth there, but there are some elements that are a little bit different. And the same is true of friendship. Jesus is truly a friend to us, but he is not exactly like my buddies from high school, okay? So we want to talk exactly about how Jesus is our friend, truly, and how Jesus is different from our human relationships, So we want to look at a few things. And first, I want to highlight there are two mistakes we can make when we're trying to understand Jesus' humanity and Jesus' divinity. The first mistake we can make is that we can be overly formal, right? We can look and see that Jesus is God, and we should rightly be a little nervous about that, right? Uh, He is the righteous and the holy one, and when we mess up, we are messing up against him, And so we should be a little nervous at first when we think, I am having a friendship with the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything that exists into existence. That's a big deal. And so it can seem utterly impossible sometimes that we could have a real friendship with Jesus, with God himself. 
Peter even reacts this way when he first encounters Jesus and he sees Jesus perform incredible miracles that no human can do. He falls down and says, I'm a sinner, Jesus. Leave me. Get away from me because you're going to destroy me. I don't deserve to be in the same like zip code as you. You need to get back up. This is a, this is a normal reaction. It makes Jesus seem distant and unapproachable. But the reality is, when we think this away, we are missing what the Bible teaches us about Jesus' real humanity. We're overemphasizing divinity at the expense of his humanity, and we're forgetting how approachable the Bible tells us Jesus is. Jesus is a real person who we can really know and we can really approach. He is gentle and loving, and he will not send us away. We can have real friendship with Jesus. The image we can think of is like the temple, right? Uh, in the temple in ancient Israel, there were like rooms on rooms on rooms that you had to pass through to come even close to relationship with God. And finally, the priest, not even you, you had to talk to the priest. The priest would go in and would be in front of this curtain, this separation between God's holiness and us. That's a little picture of what this is. It is separating God overly. And the second idea we can have is that we can be overly informal, Right? This is just the opposite. This is emphasizing Jesus' humanity over his divinity. It's forgetting for a second that Jesus is God. We make him just like us. Jesus loves to chill and hang out, just like my buddies, right? Um, Jesus is always for me. No one can judge me. God's just going to love me. Oh, it's, all, it's awesome. It's all great. Um, we make Jesus our personal hype man or like the best friend in a romantic comedy who just comes to hear you out and just pump you up and tell you you're awesome, do whatever you want to, go for it. That's how we think of it, right? Um, we, uh, we forget the divinity, and we forget the separation that, that is real and does exist between us and, um, and God. There's a picture up there that I found for this one, um, if we can show that on the screen, Donnie. Um, there's a picture that is of a t-shirt that was popular in the early 2000s, and it said, Jesus is my homeboy. Um, and you could find a lot of uh, celebrities who would wear this, and this idea that Jesus is just, he's got my back, right? And it's totally cool. We're buds. It's good. Um, we're missing the point when we say this, right? We are bringing Jesus down to our level. We are domesticating Jesus. And we should be very concerned about doing that. So we don't want to fall into either of these two extremes. We want to see Jesus' real friendship with us as a, as a person, but we don't want to forget his divinity, his lordship over our lives. Jesus is completely human, and Jesus is completely God. When we think about friendship with Jesus, we also have to take in mind that our culture is generally pretty bad with friendship. And you can find a lot of people who talk about this. You can talk, find a lot of Christian sociologists who speak about this. You can find a lot of non-Christians who speak about this. We have forgotten how to have deep and meaningful friendships with each other. And we can take a lot of these errors that we find in human relationships and we can bring them in to God. And we can bring them in when we think about our relationship with Jesus. Um, Jesus, though, is not just a friend to us. He is an example of the perfect human friend. And so we're going to look at three ways that we go wrong in our human relationships and see how Jesus perfects those things. And in the process, we want to learn a little bit about what it means to be a friend of Jesus, okay? So we're going to look at three bad examples of things that we do in our human relationships and see how Jesus perfects those broken relationships and see something of what it means to really know him. These three false kinds of friendship are brought up by a pastor named Scott Sauls, who writes about this in a book about um, our call as Christians to befriend others. And he points out these ideas, they're not all bad. There's some good parts of it too, but they're just lesser versions. They're watered-down friendship that is ultimately broken. It's not the fullest 
um, truest, deepest friendships that God has designed us to have, and we fall into them. The first is digital friendships, right? Especially after a year of quarantine and digital Zoom school, like you probably hate the idea of seeing a Zoom, uh, but this is something that is becoming more and more common. We engage with people, we have relationships with people through our technology, right? Through social media, through texting, um, through Zoom, through uh, Skype calls, whatever it might be. We see people through a device, through our computer, through our phones, um, through our iPads, whatever it might be. And these tools allow us to communicate over great distances, allow us to see our friends um, from across the world, across the country, and, and that in many ways is a very good thing. But there is a limit that is built in inherently to digital friendship. And and as is becoming the case where we can have entire friendships that are almost completely online, that aren't ever in real um, physical proximity to each other, there are real limitations here. There is a, a lack of depth. There's no presence. We are meant to live as, uh, as embodied people. Our body matters, and to be in real physical proximity matters to us. You can't know a person fully seeing only what they choose to project through a computer. Whenever we're communicating online, whenever we're communicating through a screen, we are choosing very specifically what we want to communicate. We can curate, we can manicure the version we put out there and protect ourselves from being really fully known. When we're hurting, the most important thing is not to receive a text, but to be with someone, to experience their presence. There's a limit to um, presenceless friendship. But in contrast, Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus invested time. He invested presence in his disciples. Mark 3.14 says that he chose the 12 so that they could be with him, so they could see him, that he could uh, invest real life and time together with them. And Jesus, too, makes himself present to us, really and truly present. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is given to each and every believer. And through the Spirit, we have the, the real presence of Jesus with us each and every moment. Jesus is not um, off somewhere else, off distant from us, unreachable. Jesus is with us. He is present with us. And he knows us completely. There's no false image that we can give Jesus. There's no partial truth that we can tell him. He knows us fully, deeply, every thought, every desire, every action. He knows us, and he loves us. Jesus comes to us. He brings himself to us in friendship. The second kind of false friendship is transactional friendship. Transactional friendship. These are friendships that are not really existing for the sake of the other person. They're here because we can get something out of this relationship, right? This is a person who I can feel better about myself. I can use this person to build up my self-esteem. I can use this person to achieve some kind of status. I can use this person for the goods that they can do to me, for their social standing, a cure to loneliness, self-esteem, whatever it might be. But primarily, I am thinking of myself and what I receive out of this relationship, not what I can give in this relationship. Our sinful nature does this to us. It turns things that are meant to be about other people and it turns them in to be about ourselves. Not so with Jesus. In Jesus, we have a friend who does not need us for anything. And as weird as that sounds, that is a really good thing. Jesus is not trying to get something that he needs from you. 
Jesus, there's nothing in this world, there's nothing in the universe that God does not already own because he made it, he rules it. And so you and I can give nothing to him. And so he does not come to us because he needs something, because he's insecure and he wants us to tell him good things. He comes to us out of the goodness of his love for us. We are in a completely one-sided relationship with God. He gives and he gives and he gives. We can give him nothing back. That is the depth and the beauty of the love that Jesus gives to us. And it helps us to grow in that same kind of relationship with others. By seeing Jesus and his love poured out, we can begin to have real relationships again where we are not taking, but we are giving. We're not looking for others and what they can do for us, but we're thinking what we can do for them. When we remember that God does nothing but give to us, we can, we can rest in that, that fullness, that we're not lacking in anything. That Jesus is a good and faithful friend who gives and he gives, and we can then turn and give to other people as well. Jesus shows the cure for our transactional friendships. The third kind of false friendship is a one-dimensional friendship. One-dimensional. This is um, a friendship that's built around one thing we have in common with them. Another way to think about this is this is a friendship of convenience, right? Um, you guys might remember, um, some of you are experiencing it now, but when you have classes in school and you have a friend because, you know what, he's in math in third period with you, and you guys are best friends in math class. And then math class ends, and next year you're like, I haven't seen that kid forever. Like, I don't know what we talk about other than math homework. Uh, we were friends because we sat down and we had something in common, right? We organize our friendships around this all the time. Um, we love football together, and so we can talk about that. We happen to go to the same church once a week, and so, hey, we're friends at church. We have a love of rock climbing. We have a love of sushi. Whatever it is, we have this one thing that unites us. And as humans, we tend to group ourselves around people who are similar to us. And so we find groups that we see ourselves in, groups where we share one thing in common, and that is the basis. That is the, the extent of our friendship. There's nothing wrong with, with finding people with shared interests, but when that's the only kind of friend we have, it's really shallow. It never, it never causes us to give. It never causes us to try and understand another. It's another way of separating ourselves from other people, finding only similarities and never finding anything different. But Jesus welcomes us into a friendship that goes beyond any one part of our lives. It's not this silo. It's not my Sunday morning friend. It's my life friend. It's a friend who I share every bit of my life. All of the things that I love, all of my fears, I, is someone I can be vulnerable to. Someone who truly understands me. Jesus, uh, friendship with Jesus means sharing all of our lives, each and every part, and this extends to other people. When we have a true relationship with Jesus, when we have a friendship that is, that is our whole life friendship with Jesus, it extends to our horizontal friendships as well. Jesus draws us into a community of people who we are meant to know. Not just know where they sit on Sunday morning, but know what is happening in their lives. To know the things that they, they desire, the things that they dream about, the things they care about. To know the things that they are doing on a daily basis, their struggles, the things that are going wrong in their lives. And yes, to be vulnerable and to know how they are imperfect people. And you know what? To open up and let them in to see that we are imperfect people too. This is the picture of the church. It is not a collection of one-dimensional friendships. It is meant to be a collection of people who are united in Jesus and that overcomes any differences we might have. Jesus draws together people from different tribes and tongues and nations and talents and, and interests 
to bring us together into one new people, a beautiful diversity that reflects God's creation. True friendship goes across differences and brings us together, unites us in people who are different than us. All of this because Jesus came to those who are most different than him. Jesus crosses every boundary with his love, with his friendship, with his welcome. And his people are to do the same. So let's summarize this all together, these these different elements that we've talked about. Friendship with Jesus means we are loved by God. Indeed, that God has shown us the perfect love as he died for our sins on the cross. Jesus brings us into friendship with God and shows us who he is. He welcomes us into what he is doing. He becomes our companion who is present with us through his spirit, who knows us completely and fully. He does not need us. He is not shocked or surprised by our failures and our imperfections, but he chooses and promises to be with us, to love us. In Christ, we have a steady, constant friend. This is friendship with Jesus. And so this brings us to our final question. What should friendship with Jesus produce in us? If this is what it means to have this kind of relationship with Jesus, what does it mean for the way we go and live? How should it shape us and affect us? There are many things we could talk about. I, I think there's two that show up in John 15, especially clearly. I think we see that Jesus first gives us direction. Friendship with Jesus provides for us direction, a purpose, a mission. And this mission is to go and to make disciples of Jesus. It is to take the friendship that we have received and extend it outward to show that same friendship to others. In John 15, Jesus forms a progression of thought. There's this chain of ideas that are linked together. Those who are saved and chosen by Jesus become his friends. Those who are his friends know who he truly is, and they obey his commandments. And when they obey his commandments, they love one another. This is where verse 17 takes us. These things I command you. The summary of what it means to be a follower, uh, to be a friend of Jesus, and to go and live out of that is to love one another. We're to love them, each other, as Jesus loved us. The love of God leaves us to love other people. And these are the two greatest commandments, right? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Or to put it a little bit differently, true friendship with God leads to true friendship with other people. As Christians, we are to be friendly. We are to be welcoming, not closed off. We must live out full friendships like Jesus' model, not the shallow and broken versions that are so common in our culture today. Romans 15, 7 instructs us uh, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We are to reflect the open arms of Jesus' friendship by opening our arms as well to whoever is around us. And while this affects all of the relationships in our lives, there is a call to to go and to intentionally bring this message forward. This is the Great Commission. This is the call to make disciples, to go out and to speak of the love of God to other people, to invite other people to experience the same friendship, the same fellowship that we have been given with Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples that he wants them to go and bear fruit. By that fruit, we mean their conduct, their friendships, their obedience. 
to live, um, live the way Jesus taught them to live. But it also, I think, means the fruit of their efforts, the fruit of their evangelism, the fruit of their mission, the people who come to know Jesus because of their lives, because of their message. He says, I want you to produce fruit, and I want you to produce fruit that abides, fruit that remains, fruit that lasts. Jesus tells us that we are to abide in him. He is saying, go and, and pour out this friendship. Go and pour out this love into others so that they become followers of Jesus, friends of Jesus, who abide in me. We're to go and make disciples. This is the mission that we've tried to form our church around, to love like Jesus, to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to help others to do the same, to share life together. Love brings us into friendship with Jesus. It leads us into friendship with others. And those friendships lead others to have friendship with Jesus. This is our mission. This is our purpose, to go and to love others as Jesus has loved us. That is our mission, Calvary Church. The second thing we see here, the second way, and this is probably the most important. In some ways, it's more difficult than the first. Is that we find assurance in the friendship of Jesus. And this is not often something we can go and do. This is something we have to believe. This is something we have to internalize. And something that our sinful minds and and the lies of the world and the attacks of the enemy will try and break down all the time. The idea that we don't have to fight for our place with Jesus. The idea that we don't have to earn our place with Jesus. We are welcomed. We are secure. His love is permanent and is strong. There's a quote here that talks about this assurance we have that lets us rest in God's love. This is from that same pastor, John Calvin, again. He's speaking, uh, this is what Jesus tells us. He said, Jesus says, I have condescended far more to you than a mortal man is wont to condescend to his servants. Let this be regarded by you, therefore, as a pledge of my love towards you, that I have in a, kindly, a kind and friendly manner explained to you the secrets of heavenly wisdom, which I had heard from my Father. It is indeed a noble um, commendation of the gospel that we have the heart of Christ opened in it so that we can no longer doubt it or perceive it slightly. Jesus has condescended. He has stepped down to our level to love us, yes, to save us, yes, but also so that we can be absolutely certain of his love for us, that will never go away. He opens his heart to us. He's vulnerable, he's open, he is transparent so that we might have no doubt in who he is. We can rest, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. We are secure, we are safe in Jesus. As Roman tells us, Romans 8 tells us, Jesus is for us. And if Jesus is for us, who can be against us? No one. Praise God, praise God. Let's pray together. Father, we are, we are thankful constantly for your word. Because your word is a promise that you have not left us in the dark. You have sent us your truth. You have sent us the way to know who you are truly. And Lord, your word tells us things that we would not believe on our own. The beautiful truth that you have come to make us friends of God. That you have taken us from enemies to beloved friends, even children and heirs. 
Father, I pray that we would rest in the assurance that you've given us. That we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are secure and safe in Jesus. Lord, I pray that this truth would propel us out to go and to love others, to love our community, and to preach the gospel to all peoples. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.